0: Welcome. It's good to have you with us on this Resurrection Sunday and we're so glad that you could be with us today. Um, if you are visiting with us for the first time, we, we just want to point out a few things that, that may help you in terms of worshiping from home. Uh, on our website, we've redesigned some of the things on our front page to, to make it easier to have access to the things that you would need. So we encourage you to go to kotp.org for Kirk of the Plains and uh, there you'll find a number of things that will be helpful. First of all, uh, there, we have a, a worship bulletin and worship guide. Uh, basically, it's just our our bulletin with the, the words to the songs printed out and the different parts of the worship service that you'll need to participate with us. So we encourage you to download that or print it out and uh, use that during our time of worship. Uh, if you have children, we also have a sermon sheet for the kids to use uh, during the, the sermon as well to maybe help them be able to follow along uh, with the sermon. And we also have included a link to online giving so that you might uh, worship the Lord through your tithes and offerings. Uh, And also on that uh, webpage, we have included a first-time visitor card. So if you are visiting with us for the first time, or maybe you've watched before, but you've never let us know that you're out there, we would uh, ask if you would to just take a few minutes, and that's all it would take to, to fill out a visitor card and email it to us. Uh, We won't spam you or or put you on a mailing list or anything. We'll probably reply and just say it's good to have you with us, but that's all. So uh, we would encourage you to do that. And we also have a place on that card as well for anyone who would like to submit any prayer requests. We do pray for you. We take time each day to pray for our country and our, our church and others as well. And so if there's a specific way that we could pray for you, we would love to be able to do that. Uh, If you are watching on the YouTube channel, we actually will put the links to these things in the description below. So just look down there and you should be able to find the necessary things uh, to worship with us. Now this Sunday, we're going to try something a little bit different. We have a a very friendly church who likes to to visit after the worship service. As a matter of fact, people who are locking up the church find out they have to stay sort of late because our, our people like to sort of linger and visit. And so this week, we actually are going to begin opening our online room or uh, that we have been using for Bible studies and other online events. And so we encourage you after the worship service just to, to jump on and to visit with one another and to encourage one another and, and, uh, and visit just like you would after church. Uh, we'll also uh, have another time to be together this week online uh, as we continue our study of uh different benedictions and, and prayers of the bible uh, on wednesday night uh, we uh, are going through a series called blessing and praise it's uh, put out by ligonair ministries and if you go to ligonair's website you can view uh, the the video for this week which will be the one entitled uh, preserve by god and it just talks about how god preserves his people and it's the study of jude 24 and 25 and in these times and days it's important for us to remember God's Promises and who he is and and what he has said and what he does Uh, And there's just so many different things said in the news and we just need that stability Of knowing who God is and what he has told us in His word. So we hope that you can join us and be part of that as well well, it's good to be together uh, to worship the Lord Uh, We are going to continue our series in in Hebrews this morning, but the service itself is going to revolve around the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's good for us to gather this morning and to remember uh, what it is that Christ has done for his people. And So I want to invite you this morning uh, as we come into his presence to, to just bow your head and let's have a few moments of silence and preparation as we come before the Lord to worship him this morning. Please bow with me. amen amen as we begin our time of worship this morning uh, let me just begin by saying Christ is risen
1: he is risen risen indeed
0: amen let us hear our call to worship from Luke chapter 24 Uh, this is uh, what's known as uh, the men who are talking to Jesus on the road to Emmaus and it's just happened after Christ's resurrection but these men don't know that they're talking to Jesus let me pick it up with verse 22 one of the men said, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as a woman had said, but him, that is Jesus, they, they did not see. And so he said that as Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Was it not necessary that that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. Let's remain standing this morning as you take your songbooks or your worship guides, either one, and turn to number 360 and let us sing, Christ the Lord is risen today. God, with gladness and thanksgiving we gather together today. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. It is in Christ's resurrection that you show us that you have accepted his sacrifice on behalf of your people. And so we come this morning, Lord, with hearts of thanksgiving and praise to you for this day of celebration and rejoicing. God, we thank you that the resurrection It's not just an event that we believe in, but it is the power in which we live each and every day. Thank you, God, that your mighty resurrection power dwells in your people today. So let us live in that power to your praise and to your glory. It is in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. This morning as we affirm our faith together, Uh, we are going to use the Apostles' Creed again. I thought this might be something good to use for the month of April. Uh, What better thing to do than to to turn our focus upon the nature and the character of who our God is? So, Christian, let me ask you this morning, what do you believe? I believe in in God, the the Father Almighty, Almighty, maker of of heaven heaven and and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead.
1: He ascended
0: into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as we continue in our worship, I invite you to, to turn in God's word to our Old Testament scripture reading in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We've we've just seen God deliver his people from Egypt in a mighty and a powerful way. He he just enabled them to walk across the Red Sea on dry land and they have praised him and worshiped him for his deliverance. And now they continue on in their uh, wilderness journey. Hear now what God's word says in verse 15, uh, or verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? and he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Eliam, where they were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Thus ends a reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, knowing that you are the forgiving God. And Lord, as we come today, we know that we have fallen short time and time again, that you have given us your word, both in scripture and in your son, that you have promised us your presence, both in your spirit and even in the midst of your body, the church and your community, you have given us uh, your grace and you have blessed us with your kingdom Lord, your rule over us both in your teaching and in service. And even so, Lord, God, even though we have been blessed so greatly, even so we know that we neglect and oftentimes ignore and sometimes God even reject your purposes and the graces that you you give to us. We pray, oh Lord, that you would forgive us for our stubbornness of heart. And Lord, even Without us even knowing it, God, it's just so easy for us to trust in ourselves and to neglect you. We don't love the things that you you love. We oftentimes do not embrace what you embrace. Lord, as we come this day, we ask that you would have mercy upon us, O God, that you would forgive us for our sin and pray, O God, that you might forgive us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Enable us, strengthen us, Lord, not to be like the Israelites who grumble and complain, Lord, when life gets hard and when things don't go our way. But we pray that instead that we would trust in you and we would walk in your strength each and every day. It is in your name that we pray these things, amen. This morning, our assurance of pardon is is found in Isaiah 55 beginning with verse 6. Let us give attention to God's word this morning. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. Praise be to God for his forgiveness for his people. Let us continue to worship by standing now at this time and singing number 367, Up from the Grave He Arose. Turn to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18, and beginning in verse 15. Let us give attention to God's word. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had what had taken place they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you and all the debt because you pleaded with me? And should not you have been uh, had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Amen. thus ends the reading of God's word. Uh, let us uh, bow to the Lord in prayer. You may be seated. Our Heavenly Father we come to you today and we give thanks and and praise to your name for you are are mighty and great and Lord today uh, we come being reminded of how uh, Christ was raised from the dead uh, to new life and we thank you Lord and it it gives us hope that one day even though death will will take us at, at some point in time as you give it permission Um, that, Lord, that that will not be the end. But for those that are in Jesus Christ, we know, Lord, that there will be a resurrection to a new life, a life with you in eternity in heaven today, um, forever. And Lord, as we come this morning, we are reminded of, of who you are. Lord, we know that you are a God who knows all things. Your word tells us, and no creature is hidden from his sight, that is from your sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Or as the Psalm says, great is our God and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And so we come today, Lord, knowing that you are the God who knows all things. And so we come to you, Lord, lifting up the things and the matters that are upon our hearts. Lord, we know that as we come today, that this virus is not a surprise to you, that you knew about it and its dangers long before we did, or even knew that it existed. And you already know how you will use it for our good to refine us and to teach us, Lord, even to depend upon you. And we pray, oh God, that you would help us to trust you. We pray that you would calm our doubts and our fears, We pray that you would teach us what we need to do so that we can be faithful stewards of our time and that God, that you might use these times ever to draw us closer to you. Lord, I also pray for your people that we might stand firm in your grace and in your mercy and your strength each day. That Lord, our neighbors could see that the faith that we have is not just that which we profess with our mouth, but Lord, we truly believe in our hearts as well and follow you. Lord, we do pray for those that are um, working with the public, especially for doctors and and nurses, those in in nursing homes and and other healthcare situations. We pray for your protection upon them. Uh, Lord, we pray that they might minister to those that they care for, Lord, not just physically, but also emotionally as well. Lord, I, I know many people who are struggling. Uh, the isolation, uh, being apart, just the disruption of, of our uh, lifestyles and stuff has, has taken a toll on many. But Lord, we pray um, that we would um, understand the great grace that you give to us. And that Lord, that our joy would be in you, not, not in our lifestyles but God in you, and so we look to you, God, to be our hope in these times. Lord, we also um, pray that you would teach those who are researching treatments and cures for this disease as well. We pray for wisdom for our leaders, and Lord, we pray for grace uh, for your church as well, not to react to national policies, but Lord, to faithfully follow you. May we, God, be uh, ambassadors for you. Lord, that the things that we would do would reflect well upon you, that God, that as we live, we could live for your glory. Lord, we know that your word says that a generous person will be enriched and one who gives water will get water. In other words, Lord, that we will reap what we sow And Father, as we come this morning to worship you and the giving of our tithes and offerings, we pray that you might take these gifts, these uh, offerings to you, Lord, and may they be seeds that you would multiply and would grow and would produce fruit in your kingdom. It is in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand once again, if we could, and let us... Declare our praise to God as we sing the Gloria Patri together, 572. you would and turn to the book of Hebrews, we'll be looking at uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Let us give attention as we read God's word this morning once again. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day is all his work. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formally received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Amen. Let's uh, let's bow this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that we could gather today. Lord, we uh, always need to hear from you. God, we always need you to to speak to us. We are a people who oftentimes forget. It's, It's amazing how many times your words, your word says, remember, remember, and you point us back to those things that we have said. And I pray that this morning that you would do the same. And that, God, you would uh, unstop our ears. Lord, there are many things that are going on in our lives, many things that are on our minds and uh, uh, vying for our attention. But, Lord, I pray that today that your Spirit would speak to us. And, Lord, that we would turn our ears and our hearts to you to receive that and to walk in obedience to you. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, my family and I are watching Ligonier Ministry teaching videos uh, for our family worship. And it's just truly been a blessing to us to listen to different uh, ministers teach on on God's word. And uh, currently, we're working our way through Samson, which I would highly recommend to you. It's done by Bob Godfrey. He's just a phenomenal teacher. But in that series, he makes this observation, which just really... Struck me as I heard it. He said this, he goes, one of the faults of the people of God, one of the faults of the people of God is to want more information than God has given us. That we want more information than God has given us. And he goes, and our problem is not that we lack the information we need. The problem is we don't act on the information we have. And boy, that's so true, is it not? especially when we're in times of uncertainty, you know, times when when life is just sort of in turmoil and we feel like things are are out of control. I'm guessing that for many of us, even going through this pandemic, it has been a really difficult time. And we just think, Lord, if you would just, you know, let me know how long this is gonna last. I, I think I can make it. Lord, if you will, you know, just give me the answers to this. Or Lord, you know, if, you, if I just knew this, then I would know how to handle this. Or, or Lord, I can follow my gut instinct and I, I think I could get through this. But God doesn't give us all the answers that we want. As a matter of fact, God wants us to trust him and that which he has revealed in his word. And, and so he wants us to look to him for hope, So he doesn't maybe tell us everything we want, but he tells us everything that we need. And all we have to do is to act on that which he has told us. Well, the people that the writer to the Hebrews is writing to is, is a lot like us. They're, they're not really much different at all. I mean, they're going through persecution and suffering And I'm sure they had questions as well, just like we do today. Lord, why? Lord, how long? And maybe many other questions. And while the Bible is not silent about issues of persecution and oppression and trials and and things like that, it does not always give us all the answers that we want during these difficult times. And so what happens is, is that we end up wrestling with God rather than resting and God. And today in our passage, as we come to chapter 4, this idea of rest is really important to the author. As a matter of fact, you'll see it repeated over and over and over and over. And, and it's really not just in this chapter, but even in chapter 3, we see this idea of rest, but particularly here in, in chapter 4. But, but the rest that he's speaking of is not just simply entrusting the Lord while here upon this earth, but it's something much greater than that. And so I want us to look at this, this theme of, of rest this morning. And specifically, I want us to look at, at the answers of, of three questions that I think this text um, addresses this morning. And the first is, why did the Israelites not enter God's rest? Now, we, we, we sort of talked about this a little bit last week, and so we'll, we'll just touch on it briefly, but why did the Israelites not enter God's rest? Second of all, what is God's rest? I mean, you can get through the end of this passage and you think, now, what what is the rest? And so we'll look at that. And then finally, why must we strive to enter God's rest? So let's look this morning. Why did the Israelites not enter God's rest? Well, if you look back at the end of chapter 3, the last two verses of chapter 3, we read, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? That is God's rest. But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Well, unbelief uh, really shut God's people out from his rest. We see the same thing in chapter four, verse two. It says, for good news came to us just as to them. In other words, the gospel came to the Hebrews just as it came to the Israelites in the Old Testament. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened for we who have believed enter that rest so he's he's saying to these hebrews your troubles is not what you think it is you think that the troubles that you're having in your life is persecution and it is opposition but i'm here to tell you that really your trouble is unbelief. You see, unbelief is the root of all of our troubles in this life, without exception. Unbelief is the root of all of our troubles in this life without exception. I mean, just think about Jesus. What what were the words he spoke to his disciples? over and over and over, situation after situation where the circumstances where they found themselves seemed to be beyond their control and they had no answer for what it was that they were facing. What did Jesus say to them? Oh, you of little faith, right? He would say to them, you know, be that in situations where they needed bread to to feed the multitudes, whether they were healing the sick or or they were struggling to, to cast out demons, whatever it was that the disciples were facing, and doubting, Jesus knew that their problem was unbelief. And and that's why he challenged them to constantly have faith in God. You see, the tragedy of unbelief is that it separates itself from the object of faith, that is from God. Let me say that again, That, that the tragedy of unbelief is that it separates itself, it separates us from the object of our faith, that is, from God. And let me try to explain that statement, if I could. Turn, if you would, with me to Numbers chapter 13. Uh, we looked at this passage, or referred to this passage at least a little bit last week, but I wanna return to it to to help us to to see how this works itself out. Uh, while you're turning there to Numbers 13, uh, the Israelites now have been camped on the border of the Promised Land for 40 days, and they're waiting for the spies to come back, and the spies finally do, and, and as they do, the 10 of the 12 spies give this report about how the land is, is really good. I mean, really good. As a matter of fact, they even brought samples back and they showed the, the people, you know, the, the wonderful fruit and stuff. And, uh, but then they go on and the 10 spies say this in verse 28 of Numbers 13 However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And, and, and as the people hear this, we look down in uh, chapter 14, the first three verses, and the Israelites, They says that the congregation raised a loud cry. The people wept, and they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and they're like, whoa, why did you bring us out here to die? Why not just leave us in Egypt? Because see, God had promised that He was going to bring His people into the Promised Land, and now they knew that that wasn't going to happen. Why? Because of the report of these spies. The circumstances were stuff that it was not going to happen, and so the ten spies and the Israelites acted in unbelief. And see, that's what unbelief does. Unbelief in God takes our focus off of what, off of Him as the object of our faith. You know, whenever we refer to faith, sometimes people that are not Christians, when they're talking about the Christian faith, will refer to faith as a blind faith. And oftentimes that's what people think, you're just having faith in faith, but that's not true for the Christian. For the Christian, there is an object of our faith, and that is God. We have faith in God. We trust because of the character of God, because of who he is. But when there is unbelief, even in the life of the believer, it separates us from that object. Our eyes are no longer upon God himself, but instead it reduces our focus to the circumstances that are all around us. And so unbelief separates itself from the object of faith. Now, take that and contrast that with the faith of Caleb, And Joshua, you know, Caleb hears the report of these 10 spies and the the nation of Israel, they just crying out, weeping, oh, Lord! And Caleb, his response, if you look at chapter 13, verse 30, he's like, hey, let's go take the land. We can occupy it. And he says, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, you might think he just thinks a lot about his military capability, but that's not true. If you look down in chapter 14, verse 8, you see really where his hope is. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. You see, for, for Caleb, his focus was on the object of his faith. And so what it did was it caused him to take his eyes off his circumstances and to focus upon the object of his faith. And that's the difference between unbelief and, and faith. But, but the congregation wasn't there and they responded in unbelief. As a matter of fact, they were going to stone Moses and Aaron and, and uh, Joshua and, and Caleb, but the Lord inter- intervened on, on behalf of them. But see, brothers and sisters, because of this whole dynamic of, of unbelief, that's why we cannot too often tell ourselves that the great issue of faith is not its quality, but its object. I mean, too often we're, we're guilty of thinking that we are struggling because our faith is too weak or our faith is too small. You know, and, and maybe you have found yourself, and I mean, how often probably have we, that would be a better way to ask, how often have we found ourselves asking things like, Lord, why am I wrestling in my faith? Why am I struggling? Lord, what am I doing wrong? I mean, think about how many times you have been tempted to, to ask such questions. During this whole time of pandemic, and, and as, as your life is being just turned upside down. But the reality is, it's not the quality of our faith, but it's the fact that we have lost the object of our faith. You see, faith looks outward, it does not look inward. And where we might be tempted to look inward and to say, What's wrong with me? really faith drives us outward to look and to see who our God is. So it is in those circumstances that that the Lord comes to us in the midst of these circumstances, and he says, consider me, see who I am, the one in whom your faith resides. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is seeking to do to his congregation, is for them to keep their eyes upon the Lord, because, the Israelites, because of the Israelites' unbelief, they didn't enter into God's rest. They were excluded from it. Unbelief in God, that is his character. Unbelief in his promises. They began to doubt God's goodness, like Satan did in the garden with with Adam and Eve, questioning God's character. And even questioning his promises as well. I believe there are many... Christians today, and and I'll say especially amongst young people, but that's not really exclusively amongst young people. I'll explain in a minute why I say that. But they question God's character and promises because God does not do for them what they think he should do. That, That they come to God with expectations that he doesn't meet or he doesn't meet it the way that they think he should. And so they write him off. And I don't think that that's a problem just with youth. Like I said, I don't think it's exclusive to youth, but but I see that many young people have grown up in a church where the church has sought to to grow, to have more people come. And so many churches have sought to put the focus upon how we can meet the needs of the congregation. And unfortunately, I think in, in the modern day American church, we have even changed the gospel message to fit that as well. And so when many people, young people, come to faith in Jesus Christ, they come at it from the perspective that God is here for their sake. He is here to bless them. He is there to meet their needs. And so they think that it's all about me, even the gospel, rather than seeing what what God is doing, is seeking to bring glory to himself. Does that bless us? Amen. It does. God has blessed his people tremendously, but it's not all about us. And see, what is at the the heart of the covenant promise that God made to Abraham? I mean, what's that sort of that golden thread that sort of runs throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation? Is it not where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people? You know, God on oath commits himself to his people, but not as their slave, but as their God. But unbelief questions the character of God often and doubts the promises of God. And so the the writer is saying to these Hebrew Christians, unbelief is your problem. And, And maybe we need to hear that today. Maybe we are struggling with particular issues in our lives. Maybe we're wrestling with questions and we need to be reminded to have faith in God not just to have faith, but to have faith in the object of your faith. And that is in God. God who has revealed himself to us. God who is the triune God. God who is the covenant making God and the covenant keeping God. The faithful God who has proven himself over and over and over to his people. God does not lie, but is faithful to his promises. So he calls us to place our faith in him, to focus on him as the object of our faith. And so that's the the first thing that we see. The second question we want to look at is, is what is this rest that uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about? And I'm gonna go ahead and just give you the answer, uh, but then we'll unpack it a little bit and talk about it. God's rest is his present reign of glory and grace in heaven, that's it. It's it's his present, his current reign, his current rule of glory and grace in heaven. Now, the the writer to the Hebrews he talks about what it's not and what it is a little bit more to to sort of unpack this for us. But uh, first of all, what it's not, you know, we know that the rest that God promises His people is still available today. Uh, look at verse one. It says, therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands. In other words, it's still available. It's it's still a thing, you know, that God promises rest to his people. So what that means is for these Hebrew Christians as they think back that what God was promising to the Israelites in the promised land was was really not the end all of God's rest. Uh, That the Israelites as they entered under Joshua's leadership It was not the ultimate rest that God was promising. As a matter of fact, it was just a type. It was just a picture of the true rest that God is referring to here. And that's why God says in verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. You know, that there is another rest that's going to come. And so God's purpose for his people was you know, not just to give them a little bit of real estate in, in the promised land. And so as the writer of Hebrews is writing to these Jewish Christians, he's like, you can go back to Judaism and you can go seek the promised land and, and all the promises that are, that are there. But, but really, the rest that they had is pointing to a greater rest and, and to God's rest that is the fulfillment of what Israel experienced. And, and I think for Christians, even for us, we need to be reminded of this, that our rest is not on this earth. It's not something that we will find completely here upon this earth. I, we, our hearts yearn for these things, do they not? Do we not seek a sense of peace, a sense of a rightness, a sense of shalom, in which everything in our life just fits together perfectly, right? And I, I think we spend a lot of time trying to make that happen. We, we reorganize our schedules it's like, well, if I can just figure out how to parent correctly, or if I can just get my finances under control, or if I can just do this or that, you know, then, then life will be as it should be. But, but the reality is that, that we will never, ever experience that uh, rest completely while we were here upon this earth. So So what is the rest that he's talking about? Well, look at verses three and four. And and actually the writer to the Hebrews gives another Old Testament reference, which sort of explains his definition of God's rest. He says, For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, verse four, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, the citation that he has here is from the creation account back at the beginning of of Genesis, Genesis 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he has done. You see, the point here is is that the rest that God offers us in salvation is the same rest that he took at at the completion of, Of creation. Let me see if I can explain that. In Genesis 1, God labored for six days and and rested on the seventh day. We know that. The seventh day, the the Sabbath, was a symbol of God's rest, and it was an anticipation to Adam and creation of an eternal rest yet to come. So if you want to put this in biblical, theological terms, what you would say is, is that the Sabbath day had an eschatological trajectory it was pointing us to the end it was helping us to see that there was something greater that was coming and so the fourth commandment remember the sabbath day to keep it holy by the way the sabbath wasn't instituted with the law the fourth commandment doesn't say you know keep the the seventh day holy he says remember it's pointing us back to to creation but the fourth commandment which was engraved in stone and placed in the Ark of the Covenant, was a constant reminder for God's people <laughs> of a future rest, of a rest that was coming in the future. Now, some would say that that rest is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will what? I will give you rest, right? And, and that's true but not yet in all of its fullness. If you look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, it says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for um, the people of God. And, And of course, through Christ, we enter God's rest into fellowship with him, into communion, into God's family. We experience his love. And through Christ, we enter into that rest, but not yet in its fullness and final expression of rest. Actually, if you would, turn to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13, Revelation thirteen or 14, 13. And as you turn there, let me just say that, that that full and that final rest of God really awaits us in the final consummation of all things at the end of time. Revelation 14, 13 says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may, what, rest from their labor. You see, God's rest is is yet to come. We do see a fulfillment of this in Christ to some degree, but, but one day God will wipe every tear from our eyes Death will be no more, no more heart attacks, no more cancer, no more COVID-19. It'll be a time when there will be no mourning, but not yet. Now, we still battle with indwelling sin. We still struggle with the flesh and the devil and and the world. You know, our faith is is being tested. It ebbs and it flows and it rises and, and it falls. But one day we will experience that rest. And that's why the Sabbath day was not abolished at Jesus' coming. It it remains to remind us, as we saw in verse nine, that there is a Sabbath rest for God's people, that every Lord's day, every Sunday, we are reminded that something better is yet to come. Uh, Richard Baxter, he put it so well. He said, use your Sabbaths as stepping stones to glory until having passed them all, You are there arrived. You see, from creation to consummation, that is to the end of time, there will always be a Sabbath on earth to help God's people to prepare for that eternal Sabbath. So every Lord's Day, every Sunday, as we gather together to worship the Lord, it is a reminder of the rest that we will have one day. I think it's interesting, even in our little congregation we're represented by at least 10 different communities around Andover. Uh, We come from everywhere, all different types, every walk of life and everything. But that is nothing compared to the rest that we will have one day. One day we will gather with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will worship the Lord our God. And so even every Lord's Day as we gather it reminds us of that hope that we will have of the rest when we will come into heaven and we will be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. But I think we need to understand, and, and in one sense this is a warning to us as well. It may be that, that you come to worship on Sundays and you think it's dull. You you actually find that it's rather boring. You know, maybe for some of you kids, as you're at home, you're thinking, okay, we gotta do the worship service again. And as your parents pass out the song sheets, you're sort of standing there and you're just sort of singing half-heartedly because you're just feeling like we're just going through the motions. And, and, and we need to be careful. This should cause us uh, to, to look at our, should cause us pause to, to look at our lives and seeing what it tells us about our own hearts. Because so no matter how poor the preaching may be or how indifferent or imperfect the singing may be, we should prize the opportunity of preparing ourselves for that endless Sabbath day as we gather each Lord's day to worship him. And that's why in verse 11, he says, Let us strive to that rest, that Sabbath rest, which is yet to come. Let us make sure that we will not be excluded from that final rest like these unbelieving Israelites. You see, for the Christian, life with the hope of eternal Sabbath is a great joy. So why must we strive to enter that rest? Well, as we saw in verse 11, that is a command that he gives us, strive. And and that word strive means to work hard. It means to apply yourself diligently. And, And to some people, as they read that, they think, whoa, now wait a minute, this is a contradiction. I mean, doesn't the Bible say that we are saved by grace through faith, right? And so what do you mean strive? Does, it, does this mean that we have to work for our salvation? Not, not at all. I think one thing we have to remember is, is that the author is basing his entire exhortation to his readers in the Exodus wonderings. And there were many Israelites who left Egypt and yet who never made it to the promised land, many who died in, in the wilderness. And in the same way, We as Christians, as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed. It's like leaving the spiritual Egypt. And we now are heading to the spiritual promised land. We must press on. We must keep believing. We must guard our hearts from the evil sin of unbelief. In other words, let us not take that rest, that eternal rest that we are looking to for granted, but let us earnestly strive to live harmony with God and and to do his will and to obey his word. I mean, I think really a a great uh, passage of scripture that just makes this very clear is Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 verse 12, Paul really is saying the same thing that the, the writer to the Hebrews is saying. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, in other words, you're, you're you're pressing on to obey, not just when I'm around to watch you, but even when I'm not there, you still seek to to obey. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then he goes on and he says in verse 13, "For it is God who works in you." Or you could say, "Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure." You see, if if striving was up to us, we wouldn't make it. Because oftentimes our faith grows cold. We, we rustle. It, it, it becomes weary. But, but what Paul is reminding the believers here in Philippi is that it is God who, who gives you the desire to obey. It is God who gives you the strength, who gives you the ability to obey. You, you could put it this way. It is God who gives you persevering faith. It is that sense, that's what this striving is. It is that persevering faith, and it is a gift from God. It is the result of God's work in us. And so, as he says in Hebrews 4:11, that we are to strive so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, that word fall there should cause us to look back to chapter 3, verse 17, because the same word is used there, and, and with whom... Was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? In in other words, don't be like the Israelites who had the gospel preached to them, as we saw here in verse two, and yet they acted in unbelief. Don't be like them. Why? Look at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, God's word came in its heart-searching character to the Israelites who perished, but it found them lacking. But he's saying here to these Hebrews, likewise, it is the same word that comes to you and searches what lies within you even revealing the motives and the attitudes and the intentions of your heart. And he says, don't take God's word lightly. It's it's not a dead book, but it's living. It's active. It's actually doing something in the hearts of the people. And so he says, so today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. You see, the point of these two closing verses is really to say to them, take to heart what God has spoken because God's word is living and powerful and all creation is laid bare before God in his word. You see, God sees what's in your heart right now. God knows what lies beneath the surface of your life. You know, you can clothe yourself with all kinds of outward appearance. You know, it seems like as a culture, we're all about image now, right? It's, it's really not even who you are, but it's who you want people to think you are. And, and, and that's what he's saying. You, you could even make people think that you have that appearance of Christianity, and you could fool everyone around you. Actually, you could even fool yourself. But God knows who you really are. And as a matter of fact, he has given you his word so that you can know who you are, so you're not deceived yourself. Because see, the Bible tells us that our hearts are deceptive and that we oftentimes think more highly of ourselves. And that's why many people think, I'm not really that bad of a sinner. I'm not that bad of a person. But that also means that if you think that God could not love you, because of who you are or what you have done in the past, that God already knows everything there is to know about you. He's not surprised. And so when he tells you, come, turn from your sins, believe in me, he knows who you are. He expects you to come to him as you are. But I'm here to tell you, he will not leave you as you are. He will forgive you. He will forgive your sins. And he will make you into the glorious image of his son. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says to us today. Today. Not tomorrow. Not two days from now. None of us is guaranteed one moment more in our lives. We never know a death sentence. When something could happen. A car accident. We could get COVID-19 whatever it may be so he says today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart but strive to enter because an eternal sabbath rest is waiting and the only thing that will bring you there is persevering faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which he has given to you striving will not give it us to heaven But we will not get to heaven without striving because it is evidence that God is working in our hearts. And so God is calling you today to come to Him, to bow your knee, and to give your life to Him. Let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you so much that you are a glorious God and your grace is is abundant and beyond anything that we could think or, or imagine. God, we give you praise that we have the hope of a heavenly rest one day, that whether our life is drawn short from what we think it ought to be, that, Lord, when we close our eyes in death, That we have an eternal hope that we will be with you forever in glory and i pray lord that it is this rest that will 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 drive us lord it is this hope that we have that will cause us to to press on uh, knowing that you are at work in us that you will hold us fast to the end and lord i pray for for those that are here today that would confess the name of jesus but they are struggling Lord, they may feel that their faith is weak. They may feel that their faith is inadequate. But Lord, I pray that you would turn their eyes to you, the object of their faith. They would consider who you are and the trustworthiness of their God and that you would cause them, Lord, to walk in obedience to you, trusting your promises, recounting and reflecting your character, and your faithfulness in their lives uh, year after year after year. Uh, Lord, we, we pray as well for any that may not know you today. Maybe they're sort of standing on the outside of Christianity and examining this. But I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and show them the hope is only in you, that you are the only God. We might refer to many gods in our cultures today many different beliefs, but there is really only one that is true, and that is you. And I pray that they would bow their knees before you and declare you God as you truly are and worthy to to be said of. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let us uh, stand if we would and take our songbooks and turn to Thine Be the Glory, number 365. blessing upon us and we think of Christ's resurrection Uh, as I said earlier let us be reminded that the resurrection is not just something that we believe in but it is in the power of his resurrection that we live each and every day and so let us hear now God's blessing upon his people as we prepare to leave this place today now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may be his that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
1: Praise God from whom all blessings. flow. Raise him,